I'm amazed at that love. I'm amazed at how I can go through this life with all its trials and tribulations, knowing full well that no matter what I encounter, he is never going to let go of me. He will never ever leave me. Welcome to the Extraordinary Lives Podcast, where we talk about lives that go beyond the ordinary to the extraordinary, with the extra being Jesus. We'll be encouraged with amazing stories and helpful insights from the lives of ordinary people who have that extra, that supernatural difference that only Jesus can give. I'm your host, Ellen Bennett. Thanks for joining us. I'm so excited to welcome my dear friend, Mark Wells. We have been friends since high school, and he has truly been like a brother to me, picking on me as well as annoying me, as well as just being the most faithful, dear, loving, compassionate friend ever. So I'm just so grateful for our friendship. Mark, I'd love to hear a little bit about your journey and how you even came to know Jesus. When we were in high school, we weren't really, like I know I didn't know Jesus in high school, and it seemed like you didn't really meet him until college. Is that right? Tell me a little bit about your story. Well, back several months after we graduated high school, I had always been wrestling with who Christ was, and I'd been a regular churchgoer, but until I really understood who Christ was and his claims, I really did not accept anything that God was saying. Uh, A lot of what my personal journey was starts with uh, one night I went to a seminar where somebody was telling me that there is a real place called hell and the existence of it. And I thought, well, this is crazy. An actual professor at this college that I'm now enrolled at believes in hell. He's crazy. So I went with the express purpose of shouting him down, questioning him, and basically showing the world how enlightened I was. I went to this seminar and Dr. Lacey gave his presentation of what hell was, who Christ was, and I went with I went away thinking, Wow, well that's not as preposterous as I thought. Over the next few weeks, um, I went and visited this professor and realized that hell was a real place. And it made me question Christ that I'd grown up learning about, knowing, I thought, and who he, what his claims were. When I came to that realization, one morning I really realized, wow, if John 1 is true, and the Christ has been there from the beginning of time, and the Christ was God, he demands a verdict in my life. And it was then and then that uh, I gave my life over to God. Uh, over the next several weeks, I realized, well, all this sin, all this garbage in my life that I'd been basically thinking I was too smart for (laughs) was true. And more and more, I realized that not only was Christ God, not only was my mind something that he wanted, but it was my heart that he wanted as well. So I gave my life then to Christ and the professor, Dr. Lacey, I go and see pretty much every time I come to Memphis. And he's kind of like a second father to me. And we're now good friends. Uh, He's 82. (laughs) 
but I consider him my spiritual father. Wow, that's an amazing story. And what what an impact on your life. What were some of those changes that you saw even right away because of that commitment? Well, over the next 38 years, I recognized that as much as I want to stress my intellect, I think that God is more interested in reaching my heart and my soul. With each passing year, God has gotten bigger and I've gotten smaller. I'm starting to recognize, and I'm only 38 years into this journey, (laughs) but I'm recognizing just how much he demands, just how big he is, and just how small and sinful I am. So those are the things that I'm recognizing. About 12 years, 13 years ago, I got diagnosed with a brain tumor. And I got diagnosed because my hearing in my right ear was gone. I thought it was just a sinus infection. But an MRI several weeks later showed that I had a brain tumor. Other than my loss of hearing, didn't really affect my life too much. But about six years ago, five years ago, back in the 2015, I'd just gotten through uh, going to the Holy Land, to Jerusalem, and thought, wow, this is it's wonderful, and it's amazing how God has really gotten me on the journey of knowing Him. It was then and there, after I came back, that the symptoms of my tumor started uh, popping up, and my loss of uh, balance, my vertigo, I have inability to walk, and through trials and tribulations, I have seen that obviously my right side of my face is, uh, has dropped. My right side of my body has kind of felt the effects. The nerve that controls this side has deadened. And so uh, not only did I lose my ability to walk, but uh, I had to close my law practice. I had to uh, move with my family to about two miles away to a much smaller house. And my life was impacted uh, mightily. I was angry. I thought, God, what are you doing? Why are you abandoning me? I thought I was a good and loyal subject. Mm. Why are you doing this? And I recognized over the last four or five years about how in the back of my mind, I had a feeling or I had a attitude of, well, I've done this for you. Therefore, God, you owe it to me as a son. And that has made me uh, realize just how insidious the pride that I feel has been. How insidious and far-reaching my pride has infected my heart. Boy, I, I remember talking with you um, and you're just expressing your anger and I, I totally got it. I mean, I can't say I totally did because I wasn't in your situation, but you know, I could understand how you would feel that way. And then talking with you later, I mean, it might have been over a year, two years later, where instead of being angry, it seemed like you were just humble and more understanding and just feeling like the Lord has been gracious. So what on earth happened there? How did that change come about? It's a good question. I would say, just like with any growth, that it comes about from the grace of God. And looking back on my life, trying to pick the events God used in that grace, first off, having lost so much, I was angry, but that anger turned to gratitude because I recognized, hey, if my pastor is right, and that he likes to say, I lost it all, I, he did it all, and then 
I get it all. And I think in my obedience, I thought in my Christian walk that I merited his favor and that it wasn't so much grace as payback. (laughs) And what I started to recognize was that it's all about him. And I don't mean that as a um, bad thing, although (laughs) I would take it as a bad thing at the beginning. But now I look at it as, no, it was just God loving on me and basically bringing me to himself. My wife, a couple years ago, said... We're going to mention her by name, Anne, who is wonderful. Oh, Anne. (laughs) (laughs) When Anne was asked by one of my friends... Why do you think that this is all happening to Mark? Why do you think he's losing everything and he has his brain tumor? And my wife said, because God loves him so much. She related that to me. And I don't think I knew exactly what Anne was talking about. But now I think I do. We as humanity lost it all. God did it all. And I get it all. And to be honest with you, once I thought we lost it all, I'm, I'm comfortable with that. But when I come to God did it all, I could see that what I think Mark Wells was trying to marry his favor and say, well, okay, God, you did 99% of it, but at least 1% of it is going to be my obedience, my prayer life, my fill in the blank. When I recognized that God actually did it all, that was awe-inspiring to me. And when I pair that with the idea that what Anne said, God actually loves me because of the tribulation that I'm going through, the trials, that's amazing. I have to say, Ellen, that one of the things that my son, Nate, is 14 years old, one of the things that he said to me a couple of days ago was, well, how can you serve a God that doesn't love you? I'm going through all this turmoil in my life, and he's being bullied at school. How do you experience uh, love from a God? Yeah, I don't see love at all. And I told him, I said, Nate, I could not get through life unless I knew that there was a God out there that loved me. I don't know how you get through life, Nate, without positing that there is a benevolent, loving God that really, really has your best interest at heart. You can see the love of mom. You can see the love of me, your dad. But until you posit or establish that God loves you, even in the hard, dark times, I just, I couldn't do it. I couldn't live without knowing that God loves me. Wow. You know, two questions I'm thinking that our listeners might have is, one, if you could spell it out, what do you mean by Jesus or God did it all? And then also, just even more specifically, what Anne means by God's love for you, which I think those two questions are intertwined even, that God did it all in his love for you. Can you explain a little bit more about that? Well, the idea of we lost it all, you can go back to the Garden of Eden. So that's very, very easy to explain. The second premise is, if God did it all, by faith we are saved, by justification. And justification is not a process. It's a one-time deal that, hey, Mark Wells has accepted Christ as his Savior. I recognize that the Lord has done everything for me. It's done. I'm a human being, not a human doing. So if I understand that as a new creation, I accept everything that he's done for me, I don't have to do anything at all. 
I just don't, you know, going to church and praying and fasting and doing all these things that are a good little Christian, that really is nice, but in the final analysis, it doesn't mean anything. It's me depending on Christ's righteousness, not my own. And if I read Matthew 5, blessed are the meek, blessed are the righteous, I mean, it's not so much me that is meek, me that is humble, me that is righteous, it's God. It's Christ. He did it all for me. I don't have to do anything. Great. It seems like to what you're saying in all of this is Christ's death on the cross. That was that sacrifice that was needed in order to bring us into a relationship with God to make us righteous. And the Bible says there's nothing we can do. No one is righteous, not even one. And I I love too, then the Old Testament, it talks about how the heart is deceitful above all things. We so want to think we're good people. We're doing good things. And instead, of us doing that to win God's favor, it should be more from, wow, look at what God has done for me. I therefore want to worship him. I want to serve him. I want to be part of this kingdom that he wants to build here on earth. I want to be his hands, his feet. And I love that explanation that instead of us having to perform for him, it's because we're so grateful for what he's done for us, our service and and our love for others should come out of his love for us. Would you agree with that way of putting it? Absolutely. The whole idea of me earning anything, I mean anything from God, is ludicrous. The whole idea of me thinking that God owes it to me is wrong. God loves Mark Wells. He loves me. It's not that he would stand at the porch and beckon me in. That's not enough. He leaves the porch and he comes running to me and he, the father runs toward the prodigal and accepts me as I am. So I, uh, I'm amazed at how much he loves me. And with each passing year, I'm more amazed at how much he does love me and how much he shows that love. I'll give you an example. My sin to me is more hateful, more dark than I have ever seen it. And I just beat myself up big time. I beat myself more now than when I was 19. But I rest, and I mean rest, in this idea that a God loves me so very much that no matter what sin I have, he will accept me. He will take me in. He will make me cling to his bosom. He will spend eternity with me. He will accept me into heaven. And when I recognize the glory of that, and I understand what he's got in store for me, I run away. But like I said, if I see Christ as the loving person that he is, even in this life, I'm amazed at that love. I'm amazed at how I can go through this life with all its trials and tribulations, knowing full well that no matter what I encounter, he is never going to let go of me. He will never, ever leave me. That That is great encouragement for all of us. Thank you, Mark. It seems like, too, that there's so much strength in the body of Christ that once we become believers in him, we're joined together as a family with other believers. Can you tell me a little bit about the community you've been involved with there in, in Atlanta and in your church and some of those relationships that have meant a lot to you? What I'm amazed about is how God, through His grace, 
has put people in my life that not only can I count on, but that I can uh, ask questions and uh, get feedback from. It's amazing how God has put people that are ambassadors themselves, so that so often I need that salt, I need that light, and I go to them. I don't mean to toot my own horn, but there are opportunities that God has graced me with as well, where I'm actually that salt, and I'm actually that light to other people around me. I just got through texting somebody this morning how he's new in the faith, and he understands, but he always has questions about, well, how about this, and how about that? And I uh, can answer those questions, but there is also an opportunity for me to answer questions, say, this is how God is working in my life. Answering the intellectual questions, which are the vast majority of them, I don't want to say it's easy, but it is easier. Seeing heart change is not my purview. It's totally the domain of God. It's totally God's work, and he's got to come to that understanding himself. So, yeah, I can answer a question. Uh, enjoy doing it. When it comes to seeing a heart change in him, that's God's, it's above my pace trail. <laughs> that's good. Uh, my son is, uh, is probably one of the things that is on my heart the most because he doesn't believe Christ is Lord. And so, like I said, any questions that he has, and he has a lot of them, thanks be to God that he has those questions. But I can answer those questions as much as uh, the next guy. I've been trained in philosophy. I have a philosophy degree. I went to law school. I can answer those questions as much as I, as you want. And God has given me a clear mind to make an argument. However, when it comes to changing my son's heart, that is completely and 100% the role of God. I cannot change it. That is kind of freeing to me because Mark Wells, his father, cannot change his heart. Only God can change his heart. So that's where I'm at. I have an interesting question. Diedrich Bonhoeffer wrote a book called The Cost of Discipleship, and he ended up giving his life for the gospel in Nazi Germany. But later, Dallas Willard came out with this great quote that he talks about the cost of non-discipleship. So the cost of not following Jesus is huge. And I never really thought about that before. But does that bring to mind anything? Like what would be the cost of not following Jesus? Hmm. I've not read that particular thing from uh, Willard, but I totally agree with him. The whole idea of not understanding how much the all-powerful, all-knowing creation person of the universe could love me. I, like I said, I do not know how anybody can go through life without knowing that. If we are, like the materialist says, a conglomeration of 11 billion neurons firing each other, and choice is just the synapses between those neurons, I just can't I can't wrap my mind around that. And if I see non-discipleship, if I see an atheist's life, how lonely, how cold, how dark that person's life is. I mean, to understand just how remote and awful that life would be, just, it boggles the mind. So I 
I understand what Willard is saying. Mm-hmm. You know, I think too, in your life, some things that you've talked about, part of non-discipleship is, is not seeing our pride. And it seems like you really have tried to come to grips with any pride you've had and just fling that away, knowing that, that God is God, he is king. And also just perhaps in, in forgiveness too. I think you've probably had some situations where you've needed to be forgiving and choosing to forgive versus just to hold on to that anger. I think that's destructive to ourselves, right? Our sin is actually destructive to ourselves. So if we're not following Jesus, we're not following God's ways, which are best for us. And that has a real impact on our lives and the quality of our lives. I think when I knew you in high school, I had the audacity to think, well, I'm not prideful. <laughs> I had the audacity to think that, well, I'm, I'm humbler than most of the people that I meet. And it took me a lifetime to understand how insidious, I keep on using that word, how far-reaching and how in the depths of everything that I do, it's inflicted with pride. I mean, if I look at my sin and see how it has inflicted me like a cancer with a living host, then Christ is the great physician that cures me of that sin. It doesn't mean that I'm healed once and for all in my body. My sanctification for the rest of my life is there, and I'm spending a lifetime getting rid of my sin. But God has, Jesus himself, has justified me in such a way that I don't know, I no longer have to worry about that sin. I no longer have to worry about that cancer. He has justified me, and he has cured me of that disease. I used to think that uh, Isaiah 53, you know, by his stripes we are healed. Well, when I came upon that, I thought that, well, okay, I just need to believe strong enough. I need to believe with my whole being that uh, Christ died for me. So therefore, you know, I don't have to worry about this tumor. It's going to be healed. It's all going to be gone. I think now I understand that by his strikes, by God's sacrifice, I am healed in my heart once and for all, and I'm justified. It's not so much that this tumor is going to go away, but that I, Mark Wells, am healed completely. I'm healed in such a way that I am now, I'm now just as righteous as Christ was when the Father sees me. So in that sense, I'm healed. Do I still have this tumor? Yes. Do I still go through the trials and tribulations? Yes. Do I still have pride? Yes. But I am every year, every day, I'm getting more and more like him, like Christ, in such a way that I'm becoming more and more like God. God himself. In some sense, God is making me a mini-me. Yes, yes. Sometimes people will talk about the hope of heaven, and Paul talked about in the New Testament. What do you think he means by that, that we have this hope of heaven? If hope is kind of the unmet expectation that we have for something in the future, I not only am hoping for heaven, not only hoping for union with Christ, but I'm expecting it. I have a clear-cut expectation that that's what I'm going to get. And it's not because of anything I did. It's because of what Christ did. So Hebrews 1, 3 says that he is the exact representation of the Father. 
And so as loving as I saw Christ, as loving as I see what he did, what he said, the Father is just the same way. And so my union with God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is going to be something that I hope for, something that I expect, something that I am clinging to, knowing full well, I've got it in the back. That's great. That's great. So are there any fun God stories? Sometimes we call them God stories, those extraordinary supernatural things that happen that we know are only God. Sometimes they can seem like a coincidence, but we think, no, we know that God was behind this. Do you have any stories like that in your life that you'd like to share? I have more than uh, this podcast can have. My father was here three weeks ago. It's a long discussion, but my father is very much a disciplinarian, very much a, this is who uh, I am, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, look at how bad my dad was, and look how much I've gone in the opposite way. Uh, he's very much a the father figure. The problem was that I saw how God the father was a lot like my dad. And that's, uh, I've kind of come to a understanding that my heavenly father is a lot different than my earthly dad. Uh, a lot. <laughs> yes. It's so easy, right, to see, to think of our own dads in that relationship, the same as a godly father. And that can be a big switch to, to find out who the real godly father is, because no one is perfect. You know, our dads are definitely doing usually the best they can, but they're not going to live up to who God the father is. Exactly. And, you know, I've spent several years on the council, talked with friends, heard sermons about what it means to be an earthly father versus a heavenly father. But three weeks ago, Dad came in, and he he talks about how tough my grandfather was on him and how he had uh, rose above that and become the man he is now. And I basically, out of love, and not love that I had, but godly love, a God paid that God graced me with. I said, Dad, have you forgiven him? I had no idea. That's not something that I had asked him before. The thought came to my mind, have you forgiven your dad? Have you dealt with the anger that you had toward granddad? Didn't have anything to do with me, but my love for my dad made me ask these questions about granddad. How I was wanting to lift him up. And dad almost came to tears explaining how he had not only forgiven his father, but how he had not forgiven his father, something that he was clinging to. And through that, I was able to explore to a depth that I'd never gotten to. I'm 57, and I'd never asked Dad his relationship with his dad in such a way that we could relate it to Christ. And it was not just beautiful, but it was enriching as well. So while watching a football game, I think, we had this great spiritual conversation. It was just so wonderful how he shared how God had done a work in his life and how he understood that it wasn't really him that had changed, but that it was him. And he saw me as an example of what God had done in my life. So it was very enriching for me as well. But I could not have asked those questions. And I could not have shown any wisdom had it not been for the grace of God. Hmm. 
God knew that he needed to talk about it. And then also you needed to be able to hear it as well. That is really special. Hey, so are you sitting in your basement office? Because I remember, I think, seeing friends coming in from church to help you redo the basement. Is that right? My discipleship group uh, came alongside me and took my old basement and completed it and made an office for me so that I could continue to practice law down in the uh, basement. And that was good for like two years. And I really, really was thankful for that. But yeah, because of the steps to the basement, we have decided to move my office up to the uh, main floor and to move my son down, <laughs> down in the basement. He loves it. He's got the nicest room and the most room in the whole house. Got it. I bet he loves it. <laughs> That's great. Oh, isn't that funny how things work out? So what are you doing these days for work? My practice is about 20% of what it used to be. I've got a handful of divorce cases that uh, earn me enough to, to feed uh, a little bit and uh, take care of a few bills. I've got uh, more and more motivated by doing the right thing. It seems like in the last six months, I'm getting more and more divorce cases, family law practice cases, than I am getting the personal injury cases uh, because the, the divorce cases that I'm getting so wrapped with injustice and I mean you wouldn't believe where these other people that are represented by evil attorneys are coming from. I'm amazed at how God has put into my life really unjust hard hard cases so I don't know why. Wow so you're able to help be a defender for those people who are going through such hard times of injustice. Uh, we are living primarily off of Han's income. Uh, she makes most of the money now. It was completely different 20 years ago when I got married. Yeah, it's, it's amazing to me how I don't really have to worry about money as much as I used to. God has graced her. You, you were asking about how God has shown favor and the miracles uh, in her life. It's amazing how my wife has been graced by God with not just a great job, Staying in, at home, uh, getting a job out of 117 applicants, getting a second job. I mean, she's, it's amazing. I'm worrying less about money and more about justice. Wow. That, that is amazing. I remember when that was a big concern, understandably. Okay, so I just have to hear a fun story. How did you meet Anne? I liked the kid Anne. It was all about my car. She loved my red convertible Mustang, and that's why she married me. <laughs> yes, I remember that car. And she likes to tease me, well, you married me because I'm tall. I was a <laughs> tall women. And so, you know, she's only 5'7". <laughs> and so when I said, I loved you because you're tall, and she will say, no, I'm not tall. I said, I know. <laughs> so, so God's got his own sense of humor. I met her at my church. I, I really, really had a good relationship with her best friend. I remember Anne trying to set me up with the best friend, and I had no interest in the best friend. So Anne was trying to set me up, and I got to know her. She went away from Atlanta back to Ohio, and then she came back about a year later, and the best friend said, Hey, that's like a town. How about the, the three of us go have lunch? And so we did, and I was amazed. And three months later, we were engaged. Wow! Three months! Woohoo! I, I was 36, and she was 20, 28. 
And so we were older, but it's amazing, I mean, how God put her in my life. I had no interest in her, and she had no interest in me. If you ask me, I would say, God put her in my life. That's the only way that I would marry her. If you asked her, she would say, I was called to marry Marco. So it's amazing. It, it is amazing. She is just such a sweet gift. So that's that's a great story. You two are great together. Well, good. Well, this has been so fun. Any closing comments you want to throw in there? Uh, I'm just uh, amazed at what God has done with me, but I'm also amazed about what God has done with you. It's amazing to me the majesty and the regal nature that God has bestowed on Alan Bennett. I'm amazed at what he's done with the girl that I knew back in high school. So I'm really, really pleased at his workmanship. Thank you, Mark. Good. I'm glad some of that shows through. I definitely needed and still do need a lot of work. (laughs) As we all do. Yes, yes. Well, I sure love you, dear friend, and give my love to Ann and Nate as well. And thank you for interviewing with me. Please don't Steve. I said hi. And go with God. Thank you. You too, friend. Thanks, everyone, for joining us. This is Ellen Bennett with the Extraordinary Lives Podcast.